everyone. I uh, was just waiting on the Lord to figure out what kind of context I'm in here this morning. I don't know most of you, and and uh, unless I understand the context that I'm in, it's hard to um, get with what the Lord wants me to share with all of you. And um, immediately uh, he began to just describe some, something to me that I'm very familiar with, and I have been for a long time. So he spoke to me here this morning. He says, you are uh, in the midst of people who are an endangered species. And uh, he gave me that term quite a few years ago because I once lived in Leroy. I uh, And my wife and I planted the Church of Living Waters back in the 80s there, and we stayed there for 17 years. And then uh, around um, the year 2000, he began to move in us to uproot us. And it was a very difficult uprooting for us because we, we were uh, deeply rooted there. And what happened was he began to speak to me. He said, I'm going to take you to a place where there are endangered species and you're going to go to the place where the eagles are. So I feel like this morning I'm with you among the eagles and uh, the Lord sees you as an eagle in his kingdom. And that's the way I'm going to speak to you, share with you some things about spiritual growth. And and uh, so I understand my context here this morning. I'm sitting among some people who really have decided to lay down their lives for the gospel. You want to serve the Lord for the rest of your life. You're, uh, you're, you just love God. You love people. And, and um, so I'm going to do the best I can to just share my heart with you in that context about uh, growth and your relationship with the Lord and and some other things in mind. Um, I'm going to try the best I can not to lecture and not to uh, preach. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. And um, so I think he's helped me already because when you're you're in the midst of uh, people who are eagles, uh, you don't have to preach to them. You don't have to... uh, Lecture and and so what I'm I'm going to do the best I can to share my heart with you on how I walk with the Lord, what I have understood about growing and and um, developing spiritual growth in other people. So my first part is going to be uh, spiritual growth in my life, some of the things that have worked for me, and continue to, and then hopefully trans transition into some areas of um, how do you get other people to uh, grow up in the Lord that you are responsible for. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping we can, be, in, in those two sessions though, I'd really would like to have discussion, discussion with you. And in fact, if I seem like I'm getting irrelevant, would you let me know, you know, say, hey, you know, you're, I don't know where you're going with this thing. And then I'll pull back and go somewhere else because I have I have all kinds of notes and all kinds of subjects and things. And um, what I want to do is begin by talking about something that uh, is really important to me. It has been for a long time. So if you go with me to First uh, Corinthians chapter three, I want to talk about how how does the Lord speak to you? At what level? What kind of context does he speak to you? And there's something in here that for a long time 
um, has provoked me and continues to. In fact, I was in it just the other day and I was asking the Lord. I said, Lord, how, how are you handling me these days? How are you speaking to me these days? And, and uh, I'm going through a, a medical challenge in my life. I just was diagnosed a couple years ago with cancer. And, and so I thought I was over it and I'm not. And so I'm under this uh, treatment for about six months. And, I, you know, it just rocked my world. And so it brought up some things in my life with God where I just really had to be quiet, listen to Him. And, and, um, and so He began to just show me some things about how He's handled me through the years. And so I want to begin that with you because uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> it says there, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And when I read that, I realized that's exactly the way the Lord has had to handle me for quite a long time. And, um, and so I don't know where it, where it began to develop in a different way, you know, as I was growing in the Lord. But I remember one time I said to the Lord, you know, I really don't want you to have to handle me so carefully all the time. I don't really want you to have to like baby me and you know um i don't need a lot of perks lord anymore and uh, i think he was waiting a long time for that for me because in the beginning of my walk with god i needed a lot of perks to uh obey him and i know because of the way i used to pray my prayers used to reveal something about you know how i I don't know if I want to say used God or or just expected God to uh, treat me in such a way like he kind of babied me for a while. And I probably needed that. However, I got tired of um, doing that because I realized I wasn't growing up. And uh, I've been married to a lovely lady for 40 years. And I'm actually going to share with you some things at times about growing up in your spiritual life if you're married. And if you're not, I think it'll help you anyways. About how thing, how the person that you love will actually put up with you with things in your life because they love you. However, after a while, it's kind of like God, He'll put up with things as well, but it, there comes a time when He's waiting for you to speak a different way and so i said lord you don't have you don't have to put up with that in, anymore with me you can just go ahead and speak a different way so i begin to ask this question on a regular basis through over my spiritual life and so here's here's the kind of questions that i have <clears throat> how does god speak to me um and number two how do important people speak to me because those two areas of my life are very important concerning my spiritual growth. Let's face it, God uses a lot of different important people in your life to speak to you. And uh, I had a man in my life who was my spiritual father for about five years. And in the beginning, when he was speaking to me, he spoke to me like I was, not in a demeaning way, but he was handling me carefully because he didn't know me. And so what he would do is he would speak to me in such a way he was very tender, very careful. But I noticed after like two or three years, 
the carefulness and baby and was going away and he was starting to be more direct and more uh, disciplined, more truthful, honest, and not getting not letting me get away with things. He was not so concerned about my feelings anymore in a gracious way. And I be, he, he actually was used of God to teach me that's exactly what God does to me. You know, in the beginning, he knows I can't handle too much truth. And then he gives me a little bit more. He gives me a little bit more. And and, and, um, and as I respond the right way, if I don't respond the right way, then I, I, I've learned through the years he pulls back to wait until I can get away with my, or get out of my fussing and, and all the other stuff that I do some, used to do. And I don't do so much of that anymore. But, but here's what the thing that taught me about this whole thing about growing is that in the beginning, God's voice to me was more like a bridle. If you ever rode a horse or something or something in, in of a type of animal where you need to control the animal with some kind of artificial outside restraint. Okay? And so in the beginning, he began to show me how he used a lot of artificial outside restraints in my life to teach me obedience. And uh, and then what happened was at times he would take the bridle out or he would take the restraining thing around me out and then I was kind of left on, okay, you know, it was easy to figure this out when you had the bridle in my mouth. Now I'm, I'm not sure what to do. And, and it was like a time in my life of growing to pursue to hear the the voice of the Lord in a more whispering way, a more gentle way, and also to pick up the eye of the Lord. And does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, it's where you you can sense the look of the Lord. Like I can sense the look of the Lord here this morning because I was trying to find the context, and He was giving me some pointers on it and whispering to me and and so uh, I wrote some of these things down that I've been using for years and here's here's one that has to do with going from a bridle to a look from a restraint on your life to an ear I said uh, I wrote this down the time that lapses before I obey is a good measure of the depth of my spiritual growth the time that lapses. So, you know, I don't know when this started happening for me because I had a hard time obeying the Lord when I got saved. Because I was born in a I was born in the hippie movement. I was a hippie, I had a lot of rebellion and and um, got into the drug culture and I was in the seventies and I got saved and I was at Elon Bible Institute after nine months I was in the school. And uh, I was in shock I was in shock camp. I mean, I could not believe the rules there. The rules were unbelievable. I mean, I was shaking my head at night, just talking to myself. I said, "This is ridiculous." And um, many a time, I, I just, I had no idea how I stayed there. And, uh, but deep down inside, I was saying to him, "Could you please teach me how to obey?" Because I tell you what, there was not one day I wasn't, 
I was just disobeying all the time. I remember when I met my wife, she was in the same classes as me, and I fell in love with her right away. And, uh, and I was the type of guy, once I found what I wanted, I didn't take my eyes off, you know, every day. And you can't do that at Elam. Back in those days, you couldn't do that at Elam. You had to keep your hands off the girl and so on. And so they had this six-inch rule. and Six-inch rule. A six-inch rule is a long rule. It's, that's long. That's, it might as well be like this. You know, a six-inch rule. You couldn't touch her. And so what I would do is I would sit at a table across from her and I'd try to touch her with my feet. <laughs> and she'd pull her feet back, you know. She was one of these ladies that always was walking in obedience with the Lord. So she was in obedience. Me, I'm, I'm always stretching the line. And just in those kind of things, the Lord was teaching me how, what kind of, you know, what kind of way it was about me that was uh, always just leaning towards disobedience. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was messing with my relationship with God, hearing Him, wasn't growing up, just not dealing with things. So I started praying this prayer, and I says, Lord, would you please teach me how to obey? And when I started praying that way, He started teaching me how to obey. I started expressing my heart to the Father. And I started saying this. First it was, would you teach me how to obey? Second was, would you teach me how to be quick to obey? And when I... Be, now this is a theme in my life. I'm doing this. I'm still doing this. You know. I'm still doing this. Would you please teach me how to be quick to obey? And I'm realizing that spiritual growth, one of the things about spiritual growth is if you can reduce the lapse of time that when God makes it very clear you're supposed to obey, if you could reduce that lapse and get it real short, that's a true sign of spiritual growth. You know. But to be consistent with that is something you work at your whole life. I used to think once I got older it would be easier. No, there's other things you deal with when you get older. So, <clears throat> there are a lot of stories in the Bible that I, that I have studied through the years. And this is a very common thing. If you, if you study characters in the Bible, you'll find that one of the main issues that those guys always had was being quick to obey. <laughs> well, you're going to talk about Moses, you're going to talk about Abraham, you're going to talk about Peter. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. There's these people. One of the main accounts that I think God puts in there is... All these different things that would happen with these guys or uh, people on the issue of obedience. And so I study them because I find all kinds of different characteristics in me and them. My favorite is Peter. Peter is a guy who is, I've learned so many things from him. He is a guy that uh, he went through some major transformation in his life. He was one of these kind of guys, you know. I'm the first. I'm the firstborn in my family, oldest of seven, and I could tell you, I got some strong opinions and uh, bent towards things. And so Peter reminds me of a lot of different things uh, about me. And when I see these certain things, I realize, man, I don't want to keep doing that. I'm realizing that's one of the ways you can 
help with your growth is when you tell God, I don't want to, I don't want to do that anymore. You see, what he just was doing right there, I don't want that there in my life anymore. And um, what happens is, is that you begin to understand how to create an openness to the Holy Spirit in your life. I call it an open door. Um, you know, you're all probably all familiar with this scripture. It says, "I stand at the door and knock." You know. Well, my wife and I have said we don't want that kind of thing going on in our life. I don't want God knocking on my door. If He has to knock on my door, that means my door is closed. Why is my door closed? So, um, you know, he does show me sometimes why my door is closed. I close my door to God for many reasons sometimes. Yeah. Every season in your life, you can come up with your excuses. Wherever you have an excuse, it's an enemy to your growth. Or we have an excuse. It has nothing to do with sin. A lot of excuses are not sinful excuses. It's just that you, you, you know, I just insist on my way. Okay? Like, for instance, I, I'm going through this uh, chemotherapy. So, in the beginning, I was using that as an excuse not to do hardly anything. <clears throat> I was going to go into hiding. And uh, and so, the Lord started waking me up 3.30 in the morning. He wouldn't let me go into hiding. And I believe the reason why He would was coming to me at 3.30 in the morning, which I do not commune with God at 3.30 in the morning. I'm cutting firewood from from usually 11 to 5.30 to 6. I'm cutting firewood. I'm a deep sleeper. You can't wake me up with an, a, a siren. But God, when He wakes you up, and so He was waking me up to the response that I gave to Him when I said, Lord, I'm keeping an open door. Well, you said you have an open door, so I'm coming in at 3.30 in the morning. Well, he began to show me how I was moving in, in this season in my life of excuses. And you know what I discovered? Sometimes adversity is your greatest opportunity to grow up. And I've been trying to be careful with this because more than once I have used adversity as my excuse not to do anything. Or bad weather. Or bad circumstances. Nothing makes any sense here. I'm not doing anything. And this could be my greatest opportunity. Adversity is a true test for spiritual growth. It will reveal things that are in your life. You're like... I didn't even know that was there. Well, I um, I 
When I began to just yield that to the Lord, this is what I, I learned about growing up, is that when God touches something, I mean, you can't change it. What you do is you just yield and let Him change you. And so I began to yield and I said, Lord, okay. I sensed that whatever that in me was coming up with these excuses, I really got free from it. I don't think it was very deep in me, but it was you know, one of these kind of bents in human nature where He helped me to get rid of it. And so... I begin to understand that excuses are a real enemy to growing up. You got to listen to yourself sometimes. And be careful what you say concerning excuses. So, that's one of my thoughts I just wanted to share with you in the beginning of spiritual growth was... um, it can help you with um, just your listening to the voice of the Lord and knowing those those gentle times that He wants to do with you and and speak to you like an eagle, because you know God's He's the one that's really taking care of you to watch over you and responding to Him. Is so important. Just your your initiative, your your quick response can make the biggest difference of of uh, getting rid of some immature behavior. So, you know, in your own quiet time with the Lord, at times use that question once in a while. Lord, how do you speak to me? How, where, where I'm at in my life right now, my spiritual life. Do you use a lot of circumstances? Do you, let, do you use a lot of restraints? Or, or um, are, you, are you speaking to me at, the, at this depth that you really want to be speaking to me at right now in my life? Or do I need a lot of extra evidence? Do I need a lot of extra things to be convinced of your direction? Be convinced of your... Presence, be convinced of. You know how much do, how much do you need to be convinced of things? And uh, I want to go into some practical things with you for a few minutes of what I'm using for, what I use for spiritual growth in my life. So I'll, I'll just go through the, a list of things that, what I purpose to do for spiritual growth. And one of the first one is. Um, Some of you have already uh, addressed it, uh, and that is, I remind myself with scriptures that reveal my total dependency on the Lord. And so I use, I have themes in my in my um, my life that I go through. Psalm 16 is one of them. Apart from you, I have no good thing. There's a statement he makes. That's David. And then Jesus says the same thing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I, I use the scriptures like that to remind myself because um, independence for me has been a very difficult thing for a long time. And uh, I identified it a long time ago in my life. Um, you know, everybody has different ways about them. 
me, independence has been a, just a real struggle. <clears throat> so, I, I knew that I, ne- I had to hide some word in my heart to deal with this way about me of independence. And um, through the years, it's really helped me to get that uh, submitted to the Lord. You know how it says that um, in Second Corinthians 10, that you're to take every thought captive unto the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I, was, I was beginning to learn that in my life, there were certain thoughts. Now, I don't know how they, maybe that's just the way I, my personality is. Maybe some of it was the way I, was, I grew up or maybe the, the area that I grew up. Because, you know, every area has strongholds to it. Like I live in an area, according to New York, it's independ- there's independence all over the place down there. It's an unbelievable place. And uh, I'm very sensitive to that because that's who I've been for a long time. And so in order for that thought to be brought into captivity, I've had to really address that through the years. So I remind myself of scriptures that reveal my total dependency on the Lord. Number two, I study the lives of people who walk with the Lord and read their works. I read their works. They become my counselors. So I have a lot of counselors in my life. I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever spent much time with one particular Counselor, where I've had to go for like personal counseling or something like that. Um, I'll tell you why in a few minutes. <clears throat> and I think the reason, one of the reasons why, is that I decided a long time ago to find many counselors in my life. Uh, let me tell you who some of my counselors are. Andrew Murray has been one of my counselors since I've been a young Christian. Uh, Peter Cartwright just started becoming a Chris, uh, counselor to me. Peter Cartwright was a preacher in uh, around uh, 1799. He actually ran against uh, Abraham Lincoln. <clears throat> Peter Cartwright has become one of my counselors. Watchman Nee has been a counselor of mine for a long time. William Gurnall, Oswald Chambers. Um, you know, one of the reasons I believe the Lord has given us many literary works is so that the body of Christ could have many, many counselors. And you you know what's nice about um, the Western world is our access to resources where you can really spend a lot of time and just find any counselor you want. It's amazing. For me, most of them our counselors from the 16... Uh, I have one from the 1600s. That's William Grinnell. But what I have found is there are many, many resources that you can use for counselors to, to enhance your spiritual growth. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to just think about that. Um, don't just read modern writings. There's you know good stuff out there. But there are so many different... Um, works that you can draw from that will help you in your own walk with God. Now, one of the reasons why I, I'm throwing Andrew Murray out to you is that that guy, of all people, has helped me with my relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
um, that guy had such a relationship with the Holy Spirit and learning the ways of the Spirit. I mean, he wrote this book called Spirit of Christ that I've been using for about 20-some years. It's one of my devotionals. And uh, what a teaching that is on the ways of the Spirit. By the way, you know, this whole thing about being quick to obey, if you want to continue to develop in the spiritual gifts like the prophetic, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gift of healing, and so on, you really have to learn how to be quick to obey. Because if you if you get prompted by the Spirit and you don't obey right away, mm-hmm. well, it, it, I can tell you, it gets difficult to get that tuned up. Um, when I first prophesied, I was about two weeks old as a Christian. And I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was, you know, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I was a, a week old. And um, the next week, I was in this worship service, and my heart is heart pounding out of my chest. And the only, the only way it stopped pounding is for me to speak out. My heart started calming down. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was teaching me way back then. Um, you got to be quick to obey if you want to be my voice. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be a vessel of the Spirit of God, you have to respond like, you can't go through all these exercises. Well, is this God? A, you know, you start going through into your head. Before you know it, it's like you put your brakes on, brakes on and then you don't do anything. So, this whole thing about being quick to obey is there's risk involved in obedience because sometimes it don't make any sense. And really, in the gifts of the Spirit, some of those things don't make any sense in the the natural mind. You just have to do it. You know? Um, So, uh, the third practical thing. Concerning where I draw my worship and musical treasure from, I've learned this uh, for for many years that I do the old and the new. I want to share this thought with you in Matthew 13.52. Matthew 13.52. Because spiritual growth involves the old and the new. And if you spend too much time in one area, like you spend too much time in the old, it has a way of... uh, messing you up, you get all clogged up. And if you spend too much time with the new, you could probably end up with shallow water. So what I've learned through the years about growing up in the way of worship, meditation, music, um, I try to have a balance between the two. And I use this scripture, Matthew chapter 13, and uh, let's see here. I think I got the right scripture, don't I? Yep. Yeah, okay. Would somebody read that for us, please? He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out, his, out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Okay. So, you know, every, <clears throat> all of us struggle with this whole thing with the new and the old. 
And uh, <clears throat> there are certain things in the kingdom that are old. But it doesn't mean that they are useless. It doesn't mean that they're out of date. You know, old to God is not out of date. And so, in, in growing in the Lord, if you spend too much time with one or the other, you get out of balance. You just do. If you spend time with the old and the new together, it creates something of a, a oneness, a balance, a wisdom that through the years you you kind of like walk in a better gait. You everything is just kind of you, you steady you steady yourself in, 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 in a way that you're balanced out. And uh, it's just like you can have new friends, but you really need to have old friends too. <coughs> And, um, you know, some of my old friends are away from me. They're a long... One guy lives in Colorado, one guy lives in Georgia, you know. Now, I have new friends. But I've watched how God has done this with me concerning growing. And I'm going to be talking to you about friendship. Um, He's kept these old friends in my life. I have one friend that I've had since I've been six years old. It's amazing how if you can learn how to manage through this... How the old and the new, even in your friendships, keep a balance in your in your spiritual growth. Because there are certain things that your old friends are going to say to you that your new friends can't. Mm, right. That's good. <laughs> they just, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, I have a buddy of mine. He says things to me because he knows me since I've been six years old. And he's watched. We got saved together. And we don't see each other very often. But... That can go the same with music. I uh, I have hymn books that I keep at my house and in my office. I intentionally go into those hymn books, even though I love a lot of new songs. I go into those, go into those new hymn books because I know I'm supposed to be going into the old and the new. And there are things in those hymns, like the Redemptional Hymnal, which is like has over 700 hymns in it. It has some of the most incredible things in there of treasure. Of relating to God, of just un- understanding truths in the kingdom that are just and singing those out, and so um, concerning that area, old and the new. Fourth, I try to stay open to the Holy Spirit, and mostly Deb, mostly to the Holy Spirit and Deb on understanding how to conduct myself. Uh, my wife has known me over 40 years. It would just make sense to me, you know, just logically, common sense, that if you have someone that you've been married to for over 40 years, that person's probably going to be the number one person that's going to help you <coughs> in your everyday life and walking with God. just makes sense that way. Unfortunately, sometimes in ministry, we don't get it. You know, men don't get it. They, they just. I was in this uh, pastors' meeting about two years ago. 
I meet with a bunch of pastors once a month down there in the southern tier, and sometimes we get up to thirty guys, and so we got on the subject about uh, spiritual growth and walking with the Lord, and and we were going around the circle, and when it got to me, I said, well. One of the most important areas of my uh, walk with God is my relationship with my wife. And they looked at me and I said, I make, I make sure that Deb and I are in the Scriptures together on a regular basis. We don't do it by law. We do it by um, hunger and thirst and, and uh, listening to one another. And... Um, we pray together and we spend time and we just discuss what is the Lord saying to you? What are you, you know, what are you reading today? And, you know, that's a common question. Uh, when Deb and I got married, she was a very quiet, gentle lady. Well, she still is, but she wouldn't talk too much. And so I was doing most of the talking all the time. And I realized, holy smokes, I don't even know. I don't even know her. I don't know what's inside of her. I don't even know how she, I don't know anything about her. And so I started asking this question all the time. I said, what are you thinking? And man, I tell you what, it's only needed to ask one question. And then she started to talk. And I realized all this treasure was inside of her. I had no idea this walk that she had with the Lord. And uh, to this day, I still ask that question. I don't have to ask it as much because... When I started asking the question, she started realizing that I really wanted to hear what was inside of her. In the beginning, she didn't know that. But as I asked the question, and so through the years, that's developed in our marriage where I hear the voice of the Spirit through her on a regular basis. She is probably the... Well, I know she is. She's the number one instrument in my life that has helped me to grow up. And I'm still working at keeping my door open. <laughs> you know, I'm still working at that because she. I've given her permission to address me and let me know when I'm guarding myself from her or when I'm uh, using one of my defense mechanisms to deflect when she's you know, carrying something and I'm supposed to be listening. I still deflect after all these years. You'd think, you know, you would think by now you wouldn't use that tactic. But I do. So deflection is a tactic that, for me, I use that hinders my spiritual growth because when God wants to speak to me through her, which is on a regular basis, sometimes I have a response that's not an open response. So, I, But I still try to stay open to the Holy Spirit and, and mostly to Deb because in this area, I really believe, is where a man can really understand his ways or an attitude, or a motive, or an opinion, um, a personality trait. I mean, these are these are areas in your life where 
If you want to change, you want to grow up, these are the areas that God's going to touch. He's going to touch your opinions. He's going to touch your attitudes. He's going to touch your mo- motives are real. That's a humdinger right there. You know, Motives. I don't know about you, but when you hear something from your wife that that addresses your motive, you're you're talking about something pretty deep. Okay. But if you've prayed this prayer and you said, "Lord, I am I I want an open door," um, try this one: keeping your door open to your loved one. Try that one. It's kind of like, you know, vision. Just imagine yourself. You're sitting downstairs in your cellar, and you're watching a ball game. And somebody walks into your house. They didn't knock, and they're coming downstairs. I mean, that's really what you want to have happen with your loved one. Door's not locked. They come in anytime they want. You know, I was laughing because just the other day that happened between Deb and me, and I said to her, I have no privacy with you. (laughs) That's what I did. I don't have no privacy. We kind of laugh at each other because we're trying to practice, you know, uh, openness because, you know, really, as men... I don't know if women do this, but as men, there's a tendency for us, if there is something that we're doing, we hide it. You know? And I've discovered through the years, my wife could work for the CIA. She could. It's absolutely like... I don't know where... I don't know where the feminine gender gets this. Sonar, radar... They're drones. They can look from the top down. I mean, it's amazing. But that's the way God's designed them. And I, through the years, now it's less and less threatening. But it used to be very threatening to me in my marriage. Whew. And I've watched, I've watched men in my church who who do these things, and they don't, you know, they don't get it. And the wife is just trying to help them grow up, and they the the guy thinks he has a right to hide this. He has a right to privacy, and it's an enemy to growing up. I don't know about you, but I have no right to privacy. You know, so. I try to stay open to the Holy Spirit and my wife because they are my greatest friends. So those guys that I was talking to, I actually, we knew each other enough for me to ask them this question because I could tell their response was, kind of strange when I told him that my wife and I spend time in the Word together and pray and discuss and and so on. So I went around 
And I asked every one of those guys, I said, is that what you guys do? There was not one of them that did that. I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. And I, I had discovered in our openness of discussion with that, that's a very common thing in husband-wife relationship in ministry, is that the husband and wife do not have time in the scriptures. They don't pray together. And I'm not talking about over meals. I'm talking about just spontaneous prayer. They don't pray together. And they don't have open fellowship. They don't have discourse. They don't have exchange. They don't spend intimate time with one another. And uh, when we were finished, they told me that what I, what Deb and I have, that's very unusual. As if that, and I thought that was normal. And I do believe it's normal. I believe that what they had was unusual. And uh, since that time, I've had some of those young pastors come to me and tell me that they are moving in that direction, which has been very encouraging. <clears throat> but it's for me, it's scary to think that that would be the common atmosphere of a of a home and ministry where the man and a woman are uh, not in the scriptures together. They're not praying together. They're not in fellowship together. They don't discuss discuss the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives and. So it's a, it's a different level that they're in. They, they just talk about other things. I personally, I'm just giving you my perspective on this. Uh, I believe that's a, a tremendous hindrance to growing up in the Lord. I don't know how a man grows up without that. Maybe he does, I don't know. To me, it just doesn't make any sense <clears throat> that... Um, in married life, you don't have that. If you don't have that, how in the world do you have that with anybody else? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you what I, I did with Deb, my wife. My wife w- was raised in a very strict Christian home. Mm-hmm. And so uh, family devotion was law. And so every day... There was a set time, and um, they got together, read the Bible, prayed, and so on. And that went out for years. Okay, so it. But in my discussion with Deb, she told me about that almost right away. That that's what they did. Well, I began to realize what that wasn't going to work with us because she didn't like that, you know. So I, what I did was, I just began to ask the Lord. To help me, how to, uh, how how I could get into her relationship with God, and the way I did that was the Lord gave me gave me questions. I started asking her, "What what are you reading?" Because she reads the Bible all the time. I said, "What are you reading?" As soon as I asked that question, she started telling me what she was reading, and then <clears throat> I asked her. I started asking her. What is the Lord speaking to you? And for me, it was 
he showed me how to ask questions to get into her relationship with God. Because it was, it was a very, she has a very personal relationship with the Lord. But because she loves me, she let me come in. So I think that one of the ways that you can find, I don't know if that's, you have to do that with your fiance, but for, um, my fiance at the time, I already knew that if we were going to set a time aside, so we're going to read it. If you were going to read the Bible at seven thirty, that's not that wasn't going to work for her because that's what she did for so long, and all it was was law. It was you know it's just a strict thing, and so I I began to learn how to come in a different way, you know. So the Holy Spirit, I think everybody's different, but the man needs to find out how to come into the relationship that his fiance has with the Lord. And uh, but that's how like for instance if you and I became friends, you'd have to find a way to come into the relationship that I have with God. Unless I could sense that I could be free with you and but usually in a, in, when you start a relationship with a person, whether it's a brother or a sister or so, and you want to grow in the, those relationships, usually you got to find a, a gracious way to do that. You know, and the Lord will show you how to do that because you're already learning how to relate to her and to be her husband. So He's going to show you how to do that as well. There's just different ways to do that. There, I don't, there's no set way, but once you move in that direction, she's going to know that you want to walk with God in an intimate way with her, and that just keeps growing. Because women want that; they want intimacy, they want friendship, they want you know they don't want you to live this private life and. You know, you're doing your thing, and she's. They don't want that kind of stuff. So you you got it made because you're already moving in that direction with a godly woman. You just have to find the way into that relationship. And he'll show you how to do that. Yeah. Um. What I want to do is talk about something else about how God's <clears throat> designed us for spiritual growth and there's there's a there's a system that gets released in your life once you become a Christian and um, I call it the rooted system there's a system of roots that are in you that uh, God has designed so that you can grow for the rest of your life on earth and um, the reason why I know that is because there are numerous scriptures that refer to us as trees. Uh, we're called trees of righteousness. Uh, in Psalm 1, it talks about <clears throat> how uh, a man who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by the water. And um, so... Uh, you, you look at this parable in, in Matthew 13 where it talks about four soils. And obviously that's, you know, when you talk about soils, you're talking about a root system that we have. So um, what I'd like to do is I want to relate that to you and then transition into how we help people to be rooted as well. Because, like, what's your name? Brooke. Brooke. 
as Brooke was talking about in, a, in an early session here about you know how how far do you go with people that you know you're working with and and then some of them walk away from the Lord and so on and how do you deal with things like that and um, there is a root system in every person that's designed for them to get so uh, deeply rooted in Christ that you know they finish strong. How they get there sometimes is 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 a difficult way. But what I want to do is talk about us for a few minutes because I I learned this about myself a long time ago, and one of the first times that I learned this about myself was that. I was in a, a town called Leroy for 17 years, <clears throat> and uh, when I was there, there was this uh, probably about a year, year and a half before uh, something began to happen. Uh, there was this elder at Elam came to spend time with me, and he said, "I see the two of you." He was praying over us, and he said, "I see the two of you," and. You are both being lift up, lifted up out of the ground, and you got this huge root system. And I see this burlap bag being put around your your uh, root system, and you're being set aside. And uh, so I go, "What?" He goes, "I think what's going to happen to you is you're going to get uprooted." And so, you know, that, that happened about a year and a half bef- before something began to happen in our lives where God began to speak to us directly to move us from Leroy to Corning. But when He spoke that to us, I began to understand something about the design of God in our lives concerning growth. And uh, so soon after that, we started going through all kinds of unusual um, encounters that were causing us to um, feel uneasy about being the pastor of the Church of Living Waters. And it was a very private thing that was going on, Deb and I. We didn't share it with anybody, not even our kids. And um, although we had a, a daughter, we have a daughter, she's very prophetic, and she picked up on it right away and she already had sensed something was going on, and <clears throat> but we 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 kept this thing private for a year and a half, and so we're seeking the Lord. And one thing after another began to happen, and almost every one of those things that happened was very painful. It was very painful. And uh, the the last thing that really happened to us was is that God lifted His grace from us to be the pastor of the church and so now we were just going through self-effort and we were just going through you know trying to do it on our own and everything until we finally realized we had no grace left and uh, so one day he showed us that our roots were almost out of the out, out of the ground and um, <clears throat> that began this understanding of how we're designed with a root system for spiritual growth. So this is what I want to teach with you for a few minutes and then move it into so that you understand when you're working with people, every person that you work with that knows Christ, they have a root system. 
And uh, some of it, you're responsible to help them get deeply rooted. And there's, and there's ways that God will show you how to do that. But it makes it easier when you understand your own root system so that you can relate it in your own leadership relationships with other people as you're working with them. So let me just share a few things with you that I've discovered with this about a root system. So number one, every one of us possesses a spiritual root system in our life. Okay? And you can find New Testament passages that talk about being rooted and grounded and so on in Christ. So, here's what I've written down about this. Um, One of the lessons that I began to discover about a root system is that in most situations, the only way your roots keep going deeper is you, you are willing to face adversity and trials and uh, resistance. So I wrote this down. Strong winds will help you to root deeper. Strong winds. Uh, let me give you an illustration of that. We, My son and I, we cut a lot of wood because we both burn wood in our houses and we've been doing this for years. <clears throat> well, years ago, we were given this huge... Uh, 15 acres of of trees that were down. The guy was clearing it off the land and he decided to let us have all the wood, cut it up. And uh, so we went up there on his land and we could not believe the, the red oaks that were being uh, just uprooted. The wind was just taking them down. I and mean, we're talking red oaks that were like 40, 50 feet high. And we're, we're just like, what is going on here? And so we had the whole tree, and they were being uprooted. And, and uh, one day we got to talk to a, a forest guy who uh, began to explain to us why this was happening. In the early stages of this of the development of this plot of land with all these red oaks and white oaks that were there, there were too many trees that were in this 15-acre lot. So the outside trees were strong. The inside trees were weak because the outside trees were always facing resistance and bad weather and, and adversity. But the inside trees never, you know, they just never had to root themselves because they never had to face anything. And so what I began to discover about God relating to me is, and this goes back to my first session, is that, you know, how God speaks, you know, how, I was, how, how does God speak to me? is that I didn't understand this in the beginning, but when I started to walk with the Lord, the Lord began to allow me to face things. And in the beginning, I'm saying, why am I, you know, like a kid leaving or uh, somebody going through, uh, disappointing me or, I mean, all kinds of different crazy stuff that goes on, you know, expectations not being met, and so many promises you something and it doesn't happen. I it just goes on and on. And I said, what in, what's going on here? And so the Lord was beginning to allow me to face things of adversity and strong winds and resistance and, and uh, people that you're walking with and then they begin to resist you. They're not, you know, they're not coming along. Why doesn't everybody just... 
agree with me and come alongside and you know facing all these these different things and uh and so what happens i'd start seeking the lord and i began to realize that he was answering my prayers i wanted to grow up and through the growing up he was allowing me now to start facing the adversity the trials the struggles the these different things, and he wasn't protecting me from it because he wanted me to be an outside tree. And what happens sometimes, and I've shared this with homeschoolers for many years, I said, look at, you know, don't protect your children from everything about the world. And because uh, God doesn't protect us from the world. What he does is he keeps us in the world. You know, that's what he prayed for those disciples. Lord, I pray that you keep them. But he didn't protect them from the world. He put them in the world. But what happens in, in, in uh, our leadership with people sometimes, and this is the balance that we all have to learn how to do, is that we do have to allow the people that we work with to go through adversity, to face trials. To You can't keep you know, protecting them all the time because if you do, what you do is you create an atmosphere of putting trees in the inside and you put the strong trees around that well these guys get weak and what happens is they never develop a root system in their life and so what what god does with you is is that as you're growing in the lord uh unfortunately this is just the way it works some of the way your growth goes is is facing hard times bad times i don't have any money you know that was our story in Leroy. Didn't have any money. Oh, it's exciting to plant a church. Well, go plant a church and you don't have any money. We were living on $25 a week. Two kids. And uh, I had a very comfortable um, position as a youth pastor. Had a place to live. Parsonage. Had a salary. Had a congregation. And then one day, you know, it was time to grow up and the Lord spoke to me and He said, it's time for you to plant a church. Well, that sounded exciting until when you go there to plant the church and you don't have a parsonage anymore, you don't have a salary anymore, you don't have your congregation anymore, you don't have your spiritual father around you anymore. And now you go from comfort to everything's very uneasy. And so I remember how that began to cause me to seek the Lord every day. I could not get away from seeking the Lord not one day because I was living on nothing. And then one day, and I'm a, and I'm a guy, I was a meat cutter by trade, and I was... Uh, you know, I was going to kick right in. I have a good hard work ethic. My dad raised six boys. I'm the oldest of the six. We all worked hard, worked for farmers, and I grew up just over the hill here in North Java. And so I started working when I was about 10, 11 years old, picking potatoes. And so I go to Leroy. I'm ready to work. And what does the Lord say to me? You're not working. You're going to work eight hours a day for me doing evangelism, and I'll pay you. That's what he said to me. So my roots started going deeper. I had to really trust him. Now I had to trust him for, for provision. I've never had to trust the Lord for provision. I work a job. It's easy to get, you know. 
And so what happened was, when I was there in 1984, he began to show me that my roots were, weren't very deep, and now they're going to go deep into the area of faith of provision. And so, you know, it's one thing to, to say something about believing God for provision. It's another thing to face that, and now what are you going to do? So I started trusting Him every day, and all of a sudden one day I realized my roots were going into a place of believing Him for provision. And sure enough, as the roots were going in, the provision started to come. But the, provi- the roots were going in first before the provision came. The roots went in. You know, if the provision comes first before the roots go in, no growth. We would like to see the provision come now first, then put your roots in. Nope. Mm. goes the other way around. What I mean by rooting, it means trusting. I had a trust, and so my, my roots are going down in, and as they do, because I started saying things, Deb and I were doing this together, because, you know, once he told me that I wasn't working, then I had to tell her. I said, honey, the Lord said to me, um, by this time, she and I were, were trusting the voice of God in each other's lives. That took a few years, but... Um, so this was a real test of trust for her. I said, "Hun, you know, the Lord told me I'm not supposed to work. And she didn't give me a bad look. She goes, okay. What else did he tell you? I said, he told me I'm supposed to work eight hours a day doing evangelism. Okay. All right, then. And so I used to punch a clock with the Lord. I get up eight o'clock in the morning, have my time for prayer, go to work, walk the streets. And that's what I did. I kept track of my time. I worked eight hours a day doing all kinds of stuff, evangelism. And when I started to do that, I could feel my roots going down in. And I really believe that one of the first initial areas of spiritual growth in our lives concerning uh, the root system is learning how to trust God for provision. Learning how to trust God. You know, it's a hard one. And you wouldn't think it would be that hard in America because we got it pretty easy. But so then what happened was I began to understand that what he did was he removed all the artificial uh, provision that I had by this time. He removed all these things that. Um, I was living from they were all gone and now what now what I had was I just had to trust God and that's kind of like what happens with with a, a plot of trees is that if you don't thin out enough trees so that each tree has some exposure to bad elements whatever trees are protected over I should should say overprotected they never grow the last you don't want overprotection in your life. Okay? And you don't want to overprotect people in your life. Like say, for instance, you have some young people that get saved and you know, and they come out of some rough situations and they got bad homes and stuff and stuff and they're always facing things and and uh you can protect them a little, but if you move into overprotecting people that are you're trying to disciple what happens is they shift their trust from God to you. 
And that's one, I mean, it just naturally happens. I have to guard from that all the time as a pastor because you have to work at not having people follow you. Even though, you know, they imitate you, yes, you imitate your, their walk, your, your walk, but you don't want them really, you don't want too much of their allegiance to you. You want a little bit, but you don't want, you want their allegiance to the Lord. Okay? Because you want their root system going into the Lord. You don't want their root system wrapping around you. And that happens in ministry all the time. Because if you don't understand the root system of, of a person, then what happens is when that person starts wrapping himself or herself around you, you're not detecting it. You're not even picking it up. You think it's normal or maybe you might even like it. Some people even like that stuff. They like it for a little while. And then after a while... You know, you get a call at 2 o'clock in the morning, you got to go pick them up at some coffee shop because they, their car broke down and all that kind of stuff. And it goes on and on and on. And that, that can get a little old. But if you can begin to um, grow in your discernment with the root system of spiritual life, it will help you when you see that people are rooting around you instead of rooting in, in to the Lord. Because that's one of the reasons why people fall away. It's because, let's face it, they, what are you going to give to them long term rooting into you? <laughs> You're temporary. Yeah. You want them rooting into Christ. And so, therefore, there are times that you have to just allow them to face adversity. You have to just, you can't step in all the time. Just like God doesn't step in on you. He, you face something, you told him you're going to do this, then just do it. And if you got the trouble, then face the trouble. Face the disappointment. Walk it out. And then what happens is you, you learn how to just chase the Lord and, and root yourself in, and uh, you become stronger. And then over time, you begin to realize, and this is where I'm at right now in my life, I'm 67 years old, and I faced a diagnosis of cancer two years ago. You realize that your root system goes deeper than the circumstances that you face. I don't fear cancer. You know, I came up with a confession. Well, as soon as I had this tumor removed, um, I came up with this confession. I have cancer, but it doesn't have me. Okay? So, it's never going to have me. I mean, did I get diagnosed with it? Yes. And so... And that can go with anything in your life. I mean, you're going to face stuff in your life. And you can have something. You can face something. You can be in it. You can't say you're not in it. What you do is you, you say, oh yeah, I'm in this thing, but it doesn't have me. You know why it doesn't have you? Because your root system is deeper than the circumstance that you're facing. And that's got to be your lifestyle in ministry. Because you're always going to face you're always going to face circumstances that are lousy, adversity, trouble, surprises. You know, and what happens is is that when you when you learn how to live with a deep root system in Christ, doesn't matter what you have to face. Does not matter. My wife and I got married. <clears throat> By this time. We had been rooted enough in our marriage because she was very strong anyways. Rooted. When we got married, she conceived three months after we got married. And this was between two years 
our, our junior and senior year in, in uh, Bible school. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're all excited. We're going to come back to Elam our senior year with a, with a boy. Well, our boy lived for three hours, and he died in my arms. Looks very hospital. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, my wife and I, were, we're just wiped out. We're just broken and totally, like, devastated. Yet, as, as bad as that was, within two weeks, we made a decision to go back to Elam. And we did. We went back. I mean, he died July 9th. We went back to Elam around August 25th. And when we when we went back, we had no self pity. We just had deep grief, pain. My wife was that was very broken, and and so uh, we were so rooted in Christ. The roots were deeper than the loss of our boy. <coughs> and I can tell you that you know when we went through that, we realized what's there to go through now. Mm-hmm. You know. What's there to go through? Nothing. Except maybe the loss of each other. But what carried us in that was, and I saw it in her, she was so deeply rooted in Christ, we both came up with a confession. We're going to serve the Lord for the rest of our life. Where does that come from? It comes from roots. See? It comes from roots. So that whatever circumstance you face... It's nothing because you got something that's stronger and deeper in your life. It's in your, it's in the Christ, and uh, this this root system. And I another thing about this root system. I learned this from the Chinese. I uh, for five years was blessed to go with this guy named Andrew Abuguzela, who uh, goes to the nations, does a lot of leadership conferences, and so. For five years, the door opened for us to go to China together, and so we would go into the underground church. And when we first went there, I was um, doing a lot of interviews with some of these people because I was told that over 90% of the conversions in China during that time, I don't know if it's still that way, um, but was based on either a miracle or a healing. And so I did my own survey and found out exactly almost every person I interviewed concerning a conversion, they had witnessed a miracle or a healing. And, uh, but the thing that really grabbed my heart was is the suffering that these people go through. And I would listen to them and ask them questions and I go, oh my goodness, these people had such a root system into, into God that some of these people have done like 18 years in prison. You know? And they're in prison, but they're not in prison. The prison doesn't have them. Every one of them that I talked to, not a one of them I heard bitterness, hatred, resentment. In fact, when they come out, they have even a deeper love for the government, a deeper love for their people, deeper love for the soldiers that put them in there. And you know, and, I'm, and I, I, I just began to ask the Lord, I said, how does, how does that happen? And He said, their roots are so deep in Me that when they're in prison, they're blossoming. There are trees that are blossoming. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how that works. So, um, let me show you something that I learn about the root system. 
that God wants to develop in us. And maybe this is going to help you in the future with how you relate to people and, and develop them. Um, there's three things that I've understood about what happens when, you know, as your roots go into Christ. Because if you think about it, the nature of God is oneness. Okay, everything about God is is unity and it's oneness. So if your roots are going into the nature of God, there's three things that should develop in your personal life. And here's here's what I wrote, wrote down. And I pursue these on a regular basis as I grow. One is you develop a single eye. Number two, you develop a single ear. And number three, you develop a single mindset. Okay? A single eye, singleness of eye. You'll find this in Luke eleven thirty four. It talks about if your eye is full of light. Okay? What what you want to pursue in your in your growth in Christ as your root system goes down is that it develops in you the singleness of eye. Your eye is full of light. And so your as as your tree is grow as you grow as a tree, there is a strength in how you see. Okay? There's a strength in how you see. And then there is a strength in how you hear. And then there's a strength in how you think. And how you think, what you want to move towards is, is that you want you to have your thoughts in unity with God. You, you want oneness in your thinking. One of the problems you know we have in our culture now is total chaos. Oh my goodness. Chaos and confusion. And I know that probably a lot of you work with people, they're just in chaos. They're so much of the atmosphere of homes and everything. Well, just think about the word chaos. The other side of chaos, the opposite of chaos is unity, oneness. If anybody needs to be providing an example of unity, a oneness of how you see things, hear things, think things, it ought to be us. You know, but how you get there is through a real healthy root system in your life. <clears throat> okay. I felt like I was almost getting into some preaching there. I don't want to do that. Sorry. You know, sometimes when you're passionate about something, you kick into what you do the best. Well, I don't know about best, but what I'm confident in that. Thanks, Rich. So, <clears throat> anyways, I want to kick. I want to pull that back now and just um, maybe have some discussion, and maybe you want to ask some questions or comments about root system. Um, there's a lot of different statements I've made there. Uh, one of them is you don't want to be protected too much. Okay, you don't want overprotection in your own personal life. Even though, I mean, there's a part of in us that's what we would like to have, but um, it's not good for you. God wants you to be exposed to the elements of nature, the winds, the tough times, because He knows that's how you're going to get strong. Okay. <clears throat> Probably your greatest enemies of who you relate to are the ones that God's going to use to keep make you even more healthy, strong. Yeah. Some guy at work that doesn't like you or some teacher that's a pain in the neck or 
some neighbor that just really gets you aggravated all the time, you know. <laughs> That's probably the person God's going to use to set your roots deeper into something. Well, I can give you a couple things that I've been learning about the singleness of I, the singleness of heart, and so on. Um, you know, once I saw that in the scriptures, then I told the Lord that I wanted to do it. I wanted, I wanted to have that. And let me give you a, a, a couple examples. Go to Psalm eighty-six. You know, when I first saw this, I, I just, I don't know when this started happening to me, but I. Um, I know that probably it uh, first came to me when I heard a song from Vineyard years ago up in Toronto and uh, the guy that was leading the, the song was singing from this, this passage of scripture and it said uh, teach me your ways O Lord and uh, for I am devoted to you Show me your path, O Lord. And then it says, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And so uh, that's Psalm 86, verse 11. It says, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart. Some versions say, Give me an undivided heart. Unite my heart. When I read that, I realized, Oh my goodness. I need to have an undivided heart. I mean, if that guy's praying that, give me an undivided heart. That means he's got division in his heart. And immediately, the revelation came to me that that's part of our nature. (laughs) We have division. You know, before you have division with your wife, you get division with yourself. Before you have division with another person, you got division here first. Okay? Where whenever there's division in a group of people, the division's in the person. Where does division come from? It doesn't come from the ceiling. It doesn't come it comes from us. Okay? You've heard the word being a divisive person. Disagreeable person. So on. You know, whenever you become divisive with your in your conversations with another person, you need to, you need to check out what's what's happening with you. I don't know how many times that's gone on with, in, in my life, being divisive. And sometimes it can just be a week. Some, sometimes it's just an evening, or maybe it's something that's going on for months. Okay, or maybe it's something that's been going on even longer than that. But when I started meditating on that word. God began to show me that everybody's divisive. (laughs) That's our nature. And so, in order for that to change, you have to go after an undivided heart. You have to go after that. If you don't go after an undivided heart, then you're going to have um, divisiveness in your eye. I call it a wandering eye. All right, it's a wandering eye. That's why some men get into pornography. The way you get into pornography is your want your eye starts to wander just a little bit. But people get into all kinds of stuff, 
because, you know, the way Jesus describes it, you have darkness in your eye. Okay? Darkness is wandering. And so, um, it's, it's like a, your attention span to really see what God wants you to see is at different levels. We had a, um, a daughter, well, we have a daughter, who and for 18 years we had to help her with this because her attention span is called attention deficit disorder. They have all these different kind of descriptions of you know attention spans, but her attention span was so short that she had to always sit up at the front. All right? And I think this is what God does with us. He'll put you right up to the front. But as you develop your attention, He's going to move you back. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want to keep you, you know, up at the front all the time. You have to get special treatment. These are called special needs kids. And some of us are like this. And then what He does is, He'll, he'll, he'll keep you up at the front, but then He's going to move you back. Okay? He's going to move you back because what He wants you to do is continue to pursue Him at a distance. So that you don't keep getting babied. I'm getting back to that other session. But it kind of relates to this whole thing about our our relationship with him. He's moving you back and now you gotta you know, you gotta really pursue him from a different from a different uh, perspective for your heart to continue to be developed in the area of singleness of heart. Can you be as single here as you were up here? Can, and you know, you, some of you have been raising children for a while. Can you trust Joey? You can, you can trust Joey here. Can you trust him back here? Well, that's what God does with us. Joey can hear you really good here. Because you're right there right next to him. But can Joey hear you back here? And that's what he does with us. So what he does is, in our development, he's moving us along so that we continue to keep our pursuit of an undivided heart. And over time, then he shows you other areas of your life where you're divisive. There's a lot of Areas in our humanity that causes us to be divisive. There's a guy down in the Corning area that he and I have been pastors for almost the same amount of time. And he's a dear friend of mine, but when we first got together, when I first got there, I was there maybe six months and pastors were coming to my place and asking me to be part of this group called Churches of the Twin Tiers. And um, and so I was there with them for about six months, and I said, would you be willing to be on the leadership of the Churches of the Twin Tiers? It's a different level. We spend time with each other. And and um, I said, okay, um, let me think about it and talk to my wife and elders, and, and they all released me to do that. So now I'm part of this leadership. But when I got in there, all of a sudden... As I got in there, I was dealing with almost like arguing with this brother. We were like counterparts. Okay? And I thought, why am I having a problem with this guy? 
he could tell I was having a problem and he was having a problem with me and and um and so alone the Holy Spirit showed me he's just being a competitor you you think this is competition here he's got the same kind of church you do and uh you guys are acting like competitors when you get together you rub each other off you got divisiveness in you it's coming out he's bringing it out of you and I thought, man, I was doing good until I got into this group. And you know, one of the things that God will do is, is that you, as you grow, He'll have to, He'll actually put you with a group of people that you weren't part of before. And I don't know how to describe it. I won't say like it's, they're like more spiritual or something, but it's a different context. And when He He gets you in that context, He'll use that setting to deal with some things in your life that he couldn't deal with before. And he brings it out. There you go. Because it's a leadership level where there's just certain things that start to happen and dynamics in the kingdom like that. And so he, he started to show me, you're okay here. You can practice unity there, right over here. But when I move you into this, it touches something in you. The only way I could describe it, if any of you are uh, athletes, I've been an athlete since I've been about six, seven years old. Played hockey for about forty years, and it's kind of funny. Like I can, you know, get along with everybody, and we're having a good time. But you put skates on me and a hockey stick in my hand in front of the net, and I'll knock you to the ice. You know, it brings out something different in you, and and um, and so what I was doing is I was actually working from that kind of um, area of my personality in my relationship with this pastor with comp- competition trying to knock him down in front of the ice and so God just began to touch that divisiveness in me because we did not have singleness of mind I t- it took three years I kept going I'd leave the meeting he and I would have these ba-boom, bam. I mean, we weren't like shouting at each other, but we were always we were going at it in such a way that it just wasn't... Of all people, I mean, it was only... That guy and myself were from the same stream of faith. Some of the other guys were from a different stream of faith, but he and I weren't getting along. I go, so finally I got, in, I got down to it, and here's what I did to answer your question. I began to get to a level of repentance that I hadn't been to before. And I really began to ask the Lord to forgive me and go after this thing, whatever. I couldn't even identify. It says, Lord, I give you permission. Would you please, would you please get this out of me, whatever it is. And so I began to yield. And I would say it probably took maybe a year, two years to get to a place that one day when I sat there with him, I didn't have any of that with him anymore. It was like rooted out of me, cleansed out of me, and I could sense unity. I could sense that we were in oneness. And to this day, we have this, he and I have this oneness and unity. We, we protect each other, pray for each other, and uh, support each other, and, 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 and on and on and on. No competition anymore. No 
attitude, nothing. I mean, the divisiveness is gone. And, uh, but, you know, some of that kind of stuff doesn't get out of you right away because it's so entrenched in your character, it's so entrenched in your personality. And, uh, but over time, if you keep pursuing an undivided heart, you will experience an undivided heart. But that never stops. You could go somewhere else two years from now and you're going to deal with something else in you. But if you learn how to yield and you learn how to stay open, the Lord can help you to just get from there into that place where you can be an instrument of unity, you can be an instrument of oneness, you're, you're, you're at peace and... and um, that's really important to have in your marriage. You know? Called singleness of eye, singleness of ear, singleness of mindset. Um, when you pursue an undivided heart, you will develop a singleness of eye. Now, I'm going to use, you, use a practical application with my wife. She said I could do this, talk about our marriage once in a while. Um, you know, I do this with Deb all the time. I probably tell her almost every day, maybe more than once a day, how much either I love her or she's the woman of my life or um, I can't take my eyes off you. I mean, I, I sing that song, I can't take my eyes off of you. I mean, I'll, I just do different things because the other side of me is if I didn't do that, is my eyes wander upon another woman. There's not a man that doesn't do this. Okay? That's who we are. How you train your eye is you train your eye to be single on, on, on one woman. Just like you've got to train your eye to be on one God. Because there's so many gods you can get your eye on. You can, you know... It won't take you long before you develop some kind of an idol for your eye. So what you do is you pursue the Lord with your heart, with an undivided heart to have a single eye. You've got to do the same thing with your wife. And you've got to do that for the rest of your life. That never stops. Okay? Never stops. I teach men this all the time. But you need to make confession like that. Singleness of eye. My eye's on you all the time, hon. And I even do it more if I feel like I'm tempted to have my eye wander somewhere. I get my eye, and I say, "Hon, I am just so crazy about you. You know? And I've been doing this for 40 years. And that's the truth. That's how I train my eye. I train it through saying things to her. I train by doing things for her. Because I want my eye so strong on just her that <coughs> my eye doesn't wander. Does it make any sense? Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, I learned that in my relationship with her because I know how a man's eyes wander. I, that's how most men get into pornography. It's first, it's got to wander. I mean, you can't get into 
pornography of your eyes on your wife all the time? How could that happen? It's no way. And there's no way you can get into idolatry, chasing something in this world, if your eyes on the Lord all the time, because your eye is single unto the Lord. But it's got to be single. It can't. You can't have anything else in it. But that's what Jesus is talking about when he says Luke eleven thirty four, is if your eye has darkness to it, that's you got to you got to deal with that. Okay, and then Matthew thirteen, verse uh, starting in verse eleven, that talks about the singleness of ear. You know, just hearing. You got to check your your ear out. Uh, that's something you do throughout your lifestyle. Is that you know if your ear is listening to things it shouldn't listen to. Now you got you have to work at that, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. Otherwise, you know your mind just starts to get confused, and your mindset will not be single because of what's going in your eye and going in your ear. And uh, I do that through prayer, Ben. Most of my exercise to develop the singleness that I'm talking about. I pursue the Lord with this through prayer. What I just shared with you is what I've been doing for 40 years. I do I, I'm never going to stop doing this. Okay? Never. Cuz I know what I'm capable of doing if I stop doing this. I'll wander and I'll become divisive and I'll you know, I have a, a divided heart. Sometimes I'm with the with the Lord on, on certain things, and other times I'm just like, okay. And I don't want to, I don't want that. I just I want my whole heart. I want my whole heart unto Him. That's quite a statement. You know, it's all over in the Psalms. Whole heart. When I read that thing, I mean, there used to be a time when I'd say, "I worship You with my whole heart." Now I'm I'm saying. Now, I said, Lord, would you please help me to worship you with my whole heart? I don't even know if I worship the Lord with my whole heart. What does that mean? So I switch it and I said, that's what I want to do. Rather than say I do. I mean, I, when, I, when I used to say that, I, I remind myself of Peter. I will follow you to the ends of the world. Yeah, okay, okay. You know what happened there. You know? <clears throat> so I always get back to asking him with that scripture in Psalm 86. And, and when I do that, I think he helps me with my root system. So it becomes healthier and healthier. Well, I'm going to tie two things together here. Um, one is... <clears throat> how to ca- how to carry something um, that the Lord gives you, and you're not experiencing it, and what He said it is, but how to continue to carry it, along with how friendships work, how God uses friendships for your spiritual growth. I want to kind of tie those together. So, what I'd like to do is go to. Um, Numbers chapter 14. And I want to talk about one of my favorite Bible characters, and it's Caleb. Numbers chapter 14. My buddy Caleb is one of my counselors. 
<clears throat> and you all know the story. And um, and hmm. no, it's Numbers thirteen, verse thirty. Numbers 13. And so, verse 30, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able. And uh, so, I'm sure all of you are familiar with the rest of the account when you go into 14. And... um, what it, what happens in those two chapters is that Caleb had heard something from the Lord through Moses, and there was only two guys that heard it. The rest of them didn't hear it. Moses and jo- uh, 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 excuse me, Joshua and Caleb heard the word of the Lord, and um, the other the other ten guys that had gone up there they didn't hear the word of the Lord. They just heard this word but they didn't know they didn't hear it as the word of the Lord but Caleb and Joshua did <clears throat> and then when you get to um, chapter 14 God of course judges the people and and uh, but God says something about Caleb he said he has a different spirit that's what he says about Caleb he says he's got a different spirit I don't know about you, maybe you've already said this, but through the years, um, I have taken that passage and I have said to the Lord that this is the way I want to live the rest of my life. I said, Lord, I want a different spirit. Please help me to have a different spirit in how I walk with you, live live with you. and, and and, um, And so, you know, many years go by. And that point right there... uh, Caleb was 40 years old when that happened. And so 40 some years go by when uh, all of this with uh, the first generation dies in the wilderness. And, and so Caleb and Joshua live with a bunch of people for 40 years and they carry something in their heart. But it never comes to pass. I can't imagine all the things that they went through through those years. Maybe even who knows what they said to God. But I want you to turn to the book of Joshua. And go to Joshua chapter 14. There's a lot here that reveals um, about carrying the Word of God. Verse 6, we'll start there. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. This is so good. Caleb and Joshua are very dear friends. And um, here's one of the things that I want to share with you about friendship. And this is so important to remember as you walk with God for the rest of your life. 
you always need friends. True. Okay? You need friends in your life. And for many, many reasons, you need friends. And um, those friends might change because maybe geographically you get moved to a place where you can't be with some of those friends. Well, God will give you some new friends. Well, you can keep your old friends too, you know. Uh, Joshua was an old friend that hung around with Caleb for 40 years. And here's the thing about this friendship. God spoke something to Caleb and Joshua. He said, this is what he's referring to here. He says, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me. Okay, so he keeps this for 40 years. And here he is, he's crossed over, and he did not forget this. Now here's what he says, verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Brought back the word as it was in my heart. So, he's referring to something that the Lord spoke to them in in Numbers 14. And um, here he is carrying something that never comes to pass for 40 years. So much spiritual growth is um, accompanied with areas of your life that God has spoken to you and you just carry it. That's all you can do. You just carry it. We carry it every year. You just keep, you carry it. It's obvious that Caleb never forgot about it because after 40 years, he brings it up again in a different context. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about when carrying it because, um, you know, there is there are things that are inside you that are greater than what's outside you. There's, there's things inside you that are greater than the things that are outside you. Uh, for example, can you imagine living in an atmosphere where every year it's complaining, murmuring, um, rebellion, punishment, survival, want to kill the leaders we just I mean so not so many negative things yet you have something inside you that is beyond that atmosphere it's beyond that context it's beyond that these circumstances you carry something inside you and I want to challenge, with, challenge you with this because I really believe that part of growing in the Lord is that God puts things inside you you can't have. Mm. Wow. For now. You can't have it. And He does that intentionally so that you keep vision 
And you keep hope beyond your present context. You're not confined in the context that you're living in. Why? Because you have something bigger inside you that God put in there. You didn't put that in there. God puts that in there. And out of your relationship with the Lord, I believe that if you can stay fresh and stay keep your door open, God will keep things inside you that you can't have right now. That's bigger than what's outside you in the present. So that you carry this pursuit. You carry this faith. You carry this hope. You carry this passion. And that's what not just sustains you, it it keeps you, your roots just keep going deeper. You know, I call it the root of faithfulness. You li- all everything around you is unfaithful, which is what that first generation—they were always unfaithful. <clears throat> all around you is unfaithfulness, yet you are sinking your roots of faithfulness inside you because you have something inside you that God put there that you can't have right now. You don't know when it's going to happen. All you know is he's got that inside you. I believe what happened was for Caleb is that he would rehearse that at times. He'd remind himself. He probably talked about talked about it with Joshua many times in their walks alone and so on. Man, you remember what the Lord said? I can't believe these people. They're making it even harder for that to ever come to pass. We just keep going around in circles. And um but he carried you know, he carried something that eventually it comes to pass because in verse eight it says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So he, he there's a distinction. I don't think he's being proud, he's just drawing a distinction. He says, I don't want to really be part of these people. And I think that there's something in us, you know, in your relationship with the Lord, it's okay to do this. I mean, I've been in certain situations where I said, I don't want to be part of this. I'm not like trying to be uh, elite, or I'm not trying to be proud or anything, but if there's an atmosphere where I don't think it's like faith or pleasing to the Lord, whatever it is, I'll just say to myself, Lord, I just want you to understand, I don't want to be part of this. I know you have me here. I know you have me here, but you said this to me. And I'm holding this in, in my heart, and I'm just going to walk with you. And I think God does these kind of things so that you don't ever get into following man. People do not control your life. Okay? You can't let people control your life. You gotta draw distinctions sometimes. That's how you keep your heart single. Otherwise what you do is you become a people pleaser. And really, if Caleb would have shifted into being a people pleaser, that word might have been snuffed out. One of those three soils in Matthew thirteen, you know. 
That, that word might have been snuffed out, but he wa- you, you get to a place where sometimes you have to draw a distinction where you say, I don't want to be part of this. I mean, I'm here, but I'm not going to drink that cup. I'm here, but I'm not... It doesn't have me. And that's I think Caleb said that often. It's just like what I'm facing right now. Do I am I in a, a setting where I have to go uh, get a treatment? Yep, I do, but it doesn't have me. You got to have distinctions like that at times in your faith and and in your walk with God, because <clears throat> you know I'm sure he had friendships, you know, with those people, and he hung out with those people, but. He would draw lines, and he had he realized his friendships, relationships had limitations. In those friendships, his number one was I. I got this thing inside me, and I am going to be. I'm holding this. I'm, nobody's taking this away from me. <clears throat> Nobody. No circumstance. No rebellion. No punishment. No going around in circles. I am not going to lose this. You know, Paul calls it, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So then he says, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance, and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. What I love about this is not only, you know, Caleb, he was holding this thing in him. But it also went down into his children. Generational. Yep, it's generational. And when your roots go deep enough in your walk with God, what you do with the Lord and your growth and how you walk with God gets passed on to the next generation. That's really good. You have something to give to them. Mm-hmm. Caleb had something to give. That's a beautiful picture because his daughter, you know, when you read about this whole thing, his daughter got blessed. <laughs> I'm the basis of he followed the Lord fully, which goes back to this whole thing about an undivided heart. You know, I read that and I, I say it on a regular basis. You know, I had this moment. <clears throat> I I just gone through my first surgery and I was in a lot of pain and. uh that's the first time probably I'd ever gone through where physical pain was almost overwhelming me and I wasn't making right decisions. I was just like... And so they had to you know, give me painkillers and stuff. And, and so I was into my third day of pain and the pain was breaking me down and <clears throat> I was all alone in the middle of the night and, and um, I was going through some real wrestles, wrestling things. And out of my mouth I said... And there's only one way this could happen. Out of my mouth, I said, Lord, I have no idea what's what's facing me tomorrow. But I want you to know tonight, this was about 2.30 in the morning, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. And when I said that, I realized there ain't no way I could have said that. You know where that came from? It came from my roots. I was speaking from my roots. I wasn't speaking from my intelligence. I wasn't speaking from my training. I wasn't speaking from my experience. I wasn't speaking from my knowledge. I wasn't speaking from repeating something. 
you know, positive thinking. Because it was spontaneous. And after I said it, it was like the Holy Spirit was showing me what you got in me is deeper than what you're facing right now in your life. And that got that brought me into hope. And I realized I had something deeper. You know that scripture says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Well, I was experiencing it at that moment. I realized I was speaking out of the nature of Christ, I was speaking out of the roots in him. That's what Caleb, when he says, I am going to follow the Lord fully. I mean, he said that when he was 40 years old and nobody else was doing it except Joshua and him. And then he carried that, it says, for 40 years. And uh, and then he, he keeps rehearsing, meditating on that thing and carrying that word in his heart. Verse 10, it says, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Oh, man, that is so good. That is so good. The Lord has kept me alive. So he doesn't even take credit by, yeah, I've had the faith that he, he gets into, you know, the, my beginning uh, scripture that I was sharing with you earlier about, apart from you, Lord, I can do nothing. I have total dependence on you. Isn't this something that at the end of his life, when he's now going into his inheritance, he says, it's the Lord who's kept me alive. Man, that's just so good. It's the Lord who keeps us alive. As he said, there, he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. Verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both going out and coming in. And what a what an account of uh, a strong tree. What an account of oh, he's an oak tree, and there he is, eighty-five years old, and he says, "The Lord's the one who's kept me alive." Of course, you know the rest of the account. It's Joshua and Caleb that end up becoming the leaders that took that generation in. And uh, really, you do not know what's going to happen 40 years from now, 20 years from now. You have no idea where you're going to be 20 years from now. But, you know, if you continue to do what you've been called to do in walking close to Him, you very well could be one of those people that is in the midst of a generation that goes into something in God. And you're an example of the Lord's kept me alive for this. 